This is their new hoax. But you know, we did something that's been pretty amazing. We're all feeling the impact of coronavirus. Today, Qantas stood down 20,000 people, and of course, they're joining a long list. If I get corona, I get corona. At the end of the day, I'm not going to let it stop me from partying. Well, why, why the big secret? People are smart. They can handle it. A person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it. Welcome to Nursing Review's new podcast. Each episode, we'll look at a different aspect of the pandemic, tackling myths, talking research, and keeping you informed. Right, and then I see the disinfectant, where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or, or almost... My name is Connor Burke, and this is the Nursing Review Coronavirus Podcast. This pandemic has brought a few new words and phrases into existence or, or just into our popular lexicon. 2020 will be known for ISO, social distancing, lockdown, the word coronavirus itself. Wet markets is another one. The world is pretty sure that COVID jumped from a bat to a pangolin and then to humans, but the world is also kind of sure that this happened at a wet market and everyone is all of a sudden dead against these dirty, wet foreign markets that deal in live animals and are foreign and dirty. But in that case, and even if that were the case, don't we in fact have wet markets here? Uh, the Sydney fish market is a, is a famous example. If you've ever been to a shopping area where butchers and grocers sell fresh produce, you've probably been in a wet market. Um, joining me to talk about wet markets, and if they are in fact the problem, is Dr. Petr Matush, Senior Lecturer at the School of Civil Engineering at UCID. Petra, thanks for joining us. Thank you. People uh, worldwide are angry at wet markets. Uh, many are saying shut them down now. Um, Petra, what are they and how much of the blame should lie at their door? Yes, yeah, so as, as you introduced them in the beginning, wet markets are, are basically markets that we have something similar in, in Australia. It, it's markets with perishable items, where you have direct contact with the producers and, and, and the farmers. And uh, so they are an important part of the whole food supply chain. And uh, calling to shut them is not really reasonable, like the way we wouldn't want to shut our markets in Australia, although the image of, of the foreign markets might be quite different from, from the images we get in the media or from what people might have seen on, on their travels. But, but really, there are all different kinds of wet markets out there. And when we talk about closing wet markets, it is really unreasonable to assume that all wet markets should be shut. And so we need to think about all the different things and all the different functions that wet market has and all the different types of wet markets that, that are out there. Some sell wild animals, some uh, butcher uh, animals on, on, on the spot. Some keep uh, live animals in, in close proximity with each other. And so when people are calling for closure of wet markets, I don't think that they really mean that. I don't think that they really want all markets of fresh produce and markets with, with food and, and animals to be closed. I think what they often probably mean is to close wet markets probably with wildlife or wet, wet markets that have what they would perceive as very strange or exotic animals. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, even, even that is something that uh, 
is not so simple, but we should really define what we're talking about when we're talking about wet markets and uh, possible regulation of, of wet markets. The, these wet markets or these markets in general are as old as time. It's been the way that we as people have exchanged foods and goods, massive ties to the economy around the world. It will be surely too hard to stop them. So, you know, do we have to try and look at ways to make them safe, a regulation on what we can trade and what we can do? You know, you touched on it. Can we, should we eliminate killing of animals live there? Should we talk about conventional animals but even then, I mean, we know that birds and cows are, you know, vectors for um, viruses and disease anyway. So, you know, what way can we try and make these safer if we can't eliminate them? Yeah, so I, I think you're, you're exactly right. Markets have been with us forever. Uh, it's uh, since people started trading things, they were trading things on markets. And although there have been some reports that, that the relative importance of markets across the world, this type of markets, had been declining we see also some kind of revival as well like in australia it's quite fashionable now to go on a weekend to to a little market so in, in the same sense the sort of sterile supermarkets do not offer a complete substitution do not offer the kind of social aspects that people enjoy or the contact the direct contact with the producers and farmers that, that these kind of markets can provide so their complete substitution is not probably something that that uh, anyone would be happy about. Even even people in Australia seem to enjoy that sort of social and cultural aspect of of markets. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so there are obviously ways how how markets, like anything, can be improved. So saying that these markets are important doesn't imply that they cannot be improved or that. You know, no one should touch them because they're traditional or because they're cultural. No, things can improve. And we can look at countries that have very strong market culture or could even say wet market culture and have been upgrading them and regulating them and improving them. So you can look at Singapore, what they're doing. You can look at Hong Kong, what they're doing. You can look at uh, Taiwan, what what, uh, they're doing. And and, uh, they're not doing things the same as they were doing them 30 years ago. And, and uh, so that can be said about or recommended to other places as well to look at what works and what doesn't work. So you can think about, is it uh, really reasonable to have uh, slaughtering on site? Mm-hmm. And uh, and just by sort of mentioning the aspects, again, I'm, I'm not trying to simply say, okay, uh, ban everything right now because... Yeah, the, 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 you always have to think what is the alternative. So if, if uh, you don't slaughter there, where will the animals get slaughtered? Will it actually be really safer? It depends on the conditions of the available abattoirs mm-hmm. and on, on the conditions of, of transport of animals there, which would be another potential sort of pathway for, for, for risk. Um, from what we currently know, uh, the first Wuhan cases weren't, really trace back to the market itself. In fact, the very first case, um, as reported on December 1st last year, the patient had no exposure to the seafood market. And studies have since kind of gone on and looked that the particular genetics indicate that an animal host would probably have to have had a high population density. So they're looking at animals such as civets, pigs, pangolins, cats, cows, buffalo, 
goats, sheep and pigeons, and many of these animals on the list are industrially farmed in China. Even wild animals like civets and pangolins are intensively farmed for their use in Chinese medicines. And so suspicions are that, you know, wild animal farms have been behind this outbreak. And uh, I think the government in China shut down 20 odd thousand farms. So do we have to maybe look at the way we are farming as a society? I'm really glad you raised that because this focus on the markets may be partially destructing. So first of all, as you mentioned, we're not even 100% sure whether this is where the virus, whether the market is where the virus jumped. But yeah, it, it could be. It is potentially a risky environment. But but yeah, the first patient was not linked to 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 the market, so we're not sure. And and if we just focus on markets, we might be missing all the other important interactions where, where viruses can cross over between different animal species and different animals and people. And so what I would like to emphasize is that we should really look more upstream in, in the food production, in the way we uh, handle animals and, and how we keep them in, in uh, close proximity, not just to, to each other and other species and, and humans, but also to the wildlife and how we're encroaching upon uh, the different ecosystems deeper and deeper how with farming more and more land is being converted to to uh, farming land uh, deeper in, in areas where, where humans and farm animals previously were not present and we're enabling interactions uh, between species that wouldn't have normally occurred before and as you, as you mentioned this uh, part of uh, wild animals so we talk about wild animals being on markets and potentially being uh, the cause of, of the risks of uh, zoonosis at the markets. But actually, as you said, many of, of uh, these so-called wild animals are actually commercially farmed. And so the, this whole way, how, how these uh, animals are raised and, and how, how they're kept is a, is a huge risk factor. And a lot of it, uh, a lot of the sale of uh, Wild animals is is illegal, but farming them might be legal, and and so it's a, it's a really complex case, and it's it's hard to solve only if we look at at the markets. It's even hard to solve if even if we look at the supply side alone. We also have to think about why are people buying it? Why are they willing to 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 uh, pay money for for wild animals? And uh, well. We're not we're not immune to that. Like in in Australia, we're we're happy to have a kangaroo steak or, mm. or some of us or, or uh, have a crocodile or or wild boar or uh, or a duck or, or or anything. So it's uh, I mean it's it's not that strange that that people may be interested in eating wild food, but but the, the demand for species that have been banned are are, are illegal and and it's. Uh, we're not successful, or, or the countries where, where most of this trade happens are not successful in enforcing those bans. So uh, it's uh, about better enforcement, but also better demand management, better education of the consumers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, you know, research suggests that uh, zoonotonic diseases account for 75% of emerging infectious diseases. Um, do we have to consider eliminating eating meat as a species? Well, uh, uh, so I myself, I I eat meat, although I'm I'm trying to reduce it. But 
I've been sort of observing this outrage at, at the work at markets coming from from people who who consume animals, and and I've found that it's lacking a bit of moral high ground. If uh, you're you know part of the uh, part of the problem, part of the consumers, uh, it, it's really hard to blame uh, suppliers and traders for for trading the meat. Although of course you could always ask for better animal welfare treatment or or uh, better hygiene uh, in, in uh, these conditions. But, yeah, I, I think um, we really should not forget when we talk about bats, we should not forget that uh, risk of xenosis is, is very high with uh, uh, poultry. You can get xenosis with uh, with cattle or pigs. And uh, so it's not only those uh, sort of weird, exotic-looking animals that we imagine that are being sold on these in these like yucky uh, markets dripping with blood. It, it, it's actually the kind of animals that we eat that uh, present a lot of risk as well. And so if we're not uh, willing to, to sacrifice uh, what we eat, it, it's, it's uh, or what, what we like to eat in, in our culture, it's hard to be telling people in other countries that <laughs> they shouldn't participate in, in, in that either. Mm. I mean, the, the blame on wet markets kind of, again, away, moving a little bit away from um, the idea of meat and eat, but it also something we haven't touched on is it, it strikes a racial tone for me, and I kind of touch on it, and I hope everyone will realise I was being facetious in my introduction, but um, people, you know, don't think of the Sydney fish food market. They think of somewhere exotic with bats and somewhere that's kind of not regulated, doesn't have fridges and might be disgusting, but that's not really the case. Yeah. Yeah, it, it has that bring of Orientalism to it, that it's something that is uh, kind of weird, kind of exotic, strange, a bit disgusting, and something that, you know, wouldn't happen to us. But these kind of value judgments or aesthetic judgments are not really judgments of risk of zoonosis transmission, just because something looks weird it doesn't necessarily mean that it's more risky than than something that that looks normal to us that that's more of a uh, issue of culture and, and what we're used to seeing so yeah a lot of the indignation seemed to have been driven by some kind of ethnocentric perception that those weird people out there are doing some strange things that are putting at risk and uh yeah that's probably <laughs> too simplistic really mm. Now, I know, obviously, until we kind of can nail down where this might have uh, emerged from, um, it will be hard to tell. But do you see this? I mean, everyone's kind of talking about what happens next. You know, economically speaking, is this going to be a watershed moment? Are we going to change the way we do things? But in in your opinion, is this going to kind of change the way we look at farming, consuming and kind of housing animals and livestock? Well, I think everyone is looking at at the crisis with their wishful thinking, with their hopes of how they how they wish that the, the world changed afterwards, and uh, it, it's uh, hard to say whether it will happen or not. But I think for people involved in um, in, in, in decision making, one thing to look at is that if, if uh, we want to reduce the the risk of uh, uh, viruses jumping from from 
one animal to another and to us creating new diseases that can that can spread around we really have to think about uh, how we encroach into ecosystems that used to be untouched and that's uh, for production of food but also uh, not, not just animals, also uh, land use conversion for other purposes, but it's also for uh, mining and, and forestry. When we're driving species into close proximity, which uh, wouldn't be happening before, and when uh, humans are living in, in habitats of uh, dense, bad populations, which wouldn't happen in the, in the past either. And when, yeah, we're producing animals in a way that... Uh, is, is often quite, quite unsafe and um, just in terms of interaction with, with the local uh, wild species and also in terms, of, in terms of the interaction with other animals and, and, and humans. So it, it, is, uh, it is something that should deserve attention. And I haven't noticed that being discussed as much as, uh, as the sort of more vocal voices calling for but markets now. So uh, I, I would be hopeful that uh, this uh, issue is gets more discussed, and uh, just as much as I would be hopeful that uh, that other things that were not sustainable with the way we uh, produce food or, or treat the planet have become, in my opinion, more visible through this crisis. At the same time, I'm, I'm kind of trying to be cautiously <laughs> skeptical about uh, what really will happen once people forget maybe that yeah. all, all this happened. Yeah. yeah, I think that that is a lot of us. But um, look, Peter Matush, thank you very much for joining us to talk about this. And hopefully when we do know a bit more, um, we can delve into it a bit deeper. Thank you very much.